there were people who saw that moment, who were creating things. They were in that pause or getting started state and they were ready to go up. Yeah. And they all became very successful. So many of these companies really got booted up during, during that time at the time where I was just furious and angry and wondering how, like, how could this be? I'm at the top of the world. How can I be at the bottom of the ocean and the top of the world at the same time? Hello and welcome to Beyond Networking, the show where we help you build a sustainable career in an unpredictable world. If you learn to weave a network of people who trust you, who feel heard, understood, and valued in your presence, there will always be someone willing to hire you, buy from you, or work with you. So what are you waiting for? Let's go Beyond Networking. Well, hello, Brian Miller here, and welcome to the season three finale of the Beyond Networking podcast. If you're new, I'm a human connection specialist, author, speaker, coach, and consultant, but no time for housekeeping today. I am way too excited. If there is anything I need to tell you, I'll do it all the way at the end. Today's guest is one of my personal heroes and someone whose body of work I deeply, deeply admire. Cal Fussman is an award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author. He is the writer-at-large for Esquire magazine, where he interviews legends upon legends, including Mikhail Gorbachev, Jimmy Carter, Ted Kennedy, Jeff Bezos, Quincy Jones, Muhammad Ali, and Kobe Bryant. Cal now works as a speaker and consultant for organizations who need to tell their stories better. And he hosts Big Questions, one of my personal favorite podcasts and always in my top five, maybe even my top three, most recommended no matter who I'm speaking to. Admittedly, I was nervous to interview one of the world's most legendary interviewers. I needn't have been. True to Cal's style, he made a connection with me before we'd even begun, and the conversation just rolled from there. As such, you won't hear any of my regular questions today. Instead, you get to eavesdrop on a very real, very personal, and often very, very funny conversation that I imagine isn't much different than the conversation we would have had off camera. Now, you can enjoy this as audio only and get the full experience, but Cal is so animated and he's so jovial and so happy. Um, I really think you would uh, you would get a lot out of watching this on YouTube. So you can always go to the show notes on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com to click the appropriate link and watch this instead of listen, if you'd like. Cal and I talked about his fear of technology, the 2008 recession, how tennis and surfing taught him everything he needed to survive the current pandemic, even though he doesn't do either, and how to connect with anyone. Cal even shares the magic question you can ask anybody, anytime, if you need to quickly make a connection with a stranger. Head to the show notes, as I mentioned, for more information on Cal's work, his podcast, Big Questions, and how to connect with him via social media. And stick around all the way to the end for my three biggest takeaways from this episode. This was a huge personal honor and a treat for me. I hope it means as much to you. Now, 
please enjoy my conversation with Cal Fussman. Can you hear me now? I can indeed. I'm so glad you're wearing a fedora. That makes me so happy. There you go. I like this setup here. You got the guitar in the background. Oh, yes. I have so, so many guitars. There's their walls. Yes. Walls of guitars. Yeah, it's my happy place. I went to school for music originally a million years ago. I wanted to be a rock star. Ended up being a magician and then whatever this career is in thought leadership you and I both inhabit. You know, did, did you, you have a, a, an affinity for the 60s? Uh, n- not in particular, more, more for the 80s, really. But what, what about the 60s? I, I, there was just something when I saw the guitar <laughs> and the couch like that. And then uh, are those speakers or is that art behind that's a, you on It's a great question. It, it's, they're not speakers. They do look like speakers. They're actually um, acoustic treatment panels. This entire studio is professionally treated. This is in my house, but it's professionally treated. And they are, so it's whisper quiet, no echo, just like a real recording studio. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Will you be able to give me tips on how to do that? Of course, I went to school for audio engineering. We'll, we'll talk, we can talk all about it. I'd be thrilled to, to give you some tips on that. Oh, this is just fantastic. <laughs> I love this. Okay. Great. Acoustics. Yes. Yes. So uh, is there, I mean, you're a pro. You know what, what the deal is here. I'm hoping to just chat for an hour. I'm, I'm hoping to ignore my questions and just have a conversation. I've got my emergency questions just in case. But after three seasons of the podcast, I find I don't need them anymore, mostly. So, uh, well, we could start with acoustics. <laughs> from there, man. I, lo- I, lo- I actually, I'm looking at you, and you have the feel of having this completely under control. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, I was scared to start a podcast. And if you want, we could start recording now. You know, and- we're, we're already recording. What, what scared you when you were first going to start a podcast? exactly what you have mastered all the technology around you i i couldn't comprehend mastering it and and even getting one of those little zoom recorders mm-hmm. where all, all you really gotta do is just you know tap a red button and it starts to record but then there's audio levels you gotta check and i yeah. said oh man i'll i'll mess that up and what happened was Tim Fer- I went on Tim Ferriss's podcast and it got a tremendous response. Mm-hmm. And so Tim came back to me and said, you, you got to start your own podcast. And I just like pushed him off, pushed him off for this very reason that I didn't have the technical chops <laughs> that you seem to inhabit. And only after constant pressing uh, did I say, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. And as soon as I did, I thought, oh my, like, what was I waiting for? That, that exactly. I, I occasionally get asked by folks to coach, consult on the pod, just how to start a podcast, because the number one thing people are worried about is the audio stuff. And honestly, I'm an audio geek. I'm sitting in the middle of tens of thousands of dollars of audio gear. But when I teach people to do a podcast, I just have them use their phone. I get them to launch their podcast with nothing but the phone in their pocket. I just teach them how to 
set it up at the right angle and make sure you're in a room that's got some natural acoustic treatment and just go because because I find the first thing people need is the confidence to actually share their voice and share their perspective. And once they've got that, they can learn the technical stuff later. I wish I had had that advice <laughs> years ago. Uh, but, you know, there are people, and especially if you're a little older, they're just technophobes. Sure. Uh, this sure. story I love to tell, and this kind of sums up why I had those fears. Back when the internet got rolling and everybody started to get email addresses, I tried to get an email address and it took me like three hours and it wasn't working. And, you know, finally I'm on phone with customer support saying, I like, I don't get it. I'm doing everything you told me to do. And I said my address and then dot com, D-O-T-C-O-M. <laughs> That was after three hours. Oh, no. <laughs> so actually, what you're telling me and what I've experienced is truly great motivation for anybody who is at like the halfway point in life for a little afterward to just say, jump into it. And you know, I did a podcast, it just came out yesterday with Maria Sharapova, the tennis player. Oh, amazing. And she told me something that really applies to this. Mm. Uh, and she said when she came to United States from Russia when she was six years old, she basically picked up a tennis racket when she was three and started to hit against a wall. Martina Navratilova came out to Sochi to do a clinic. I uh, saw her and basically at six, she was on a plane with her dad to go to the United States. Her dad had like 700 bucks in his pocket hmm. and they ended up at the IMG Academy. And of course the rest is history. But here's the amazing thing about this that like applied to my life because what happens is when you get successful, it's hard to pivot to something where you have not only no success, but fears. Maybe you're, you've never been good at it. And all, all of a sudden, those fears are going to stop you. Even if you think, yeah, that's real. Having a podcast would be a cool thing, but I'm, I'm not technical and I'm going to have to know the, the technical side of it. But Maria was telling me that every day when she was young, she had this one coach who had a thousand balls on the other side of the net and would just hit ball after ball after ball after ball, like a thousand straight balls to her that she just had to keep returning to the point where she said, like, I could close my eyes. <laughs> and when I hit it, I knew exactly where it's going to land on the other side of the net. And that, I realize, is what I have to do with technology. <laughs> Imagine if I, that's right. And that's why I'm looking at your setup here. I absolutely love it. I'm going to come back to you and I'm going to start asking questions. And I'm going to ask you to just 
hit those balls, a thousand balls to me and get me to understand what I need and get me to be a, a master at it. You know, first I, I'd be honored to, and, I, and what I want to underscore about the tech is what I find myself telling people so often is, like I said, if you just start, right, you just start because there's no good knowing all the audio stuff if you don't, if you're not confident sharing your voice and sharing your perspective. So first you have to be able to tell your story and share your voice and find your voice and be confident. But after that, I usually encourage people to learn the technology, the audio stuff, simply because it enhances your ability to tell your story, right? That the better you get with this, when you get that warm NPR radio voice, if you're trying to have this intimate podcast, then you're actually using the tech to get out of the way of the listener. The better the tech is, the better you do the audio stuff, the more the listener doesn't hear it. You know how when you listen to a podcast and, um, well, I, I'm sure you, you've made mistakes in the past. I have too. And I, I remember early in Big Questions, there was an episode because I've been listening religiously since basically the beginning. So this is this okay. is a big honor for me. I'm really excited that you're here. Um, and I remember one episode when your mic hadn't recorded, but your guests had, and you opened the episode and apologized for how bad your audio was going to sound. And it was so endearing, honestly, to hear someone just go, I, I screwed up. I didn't, I don't know what happened, I'm, but I am promise it'll be better in the future and I'll keep working on it. And it was so human. And so on one hand, you can, you can get out of that because you already have a connection with your audience, which is the most important thing. Right. Yeah. That's such a good point. And you know what? It happened to me again, of all places, at MIT. Oh, no. So I went to interview Hal Gregerson, who's a master of asking corporate questions. Mm. And he's also a teacher at MIT. And he said, oh, like, Cal, don't, don't even worry about your Zoom. We've got like the MIT <laughs> podcast recording <laughs> center. And we're going to walk over there. And of course, we walk in and it's like a huge studio with all the knobs. And I said, well, this is great, Hal. And he said, okay, here it is, all yours. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where if I would have had yeah. the, the same thinking that you're extending, I, I would have been able to deal with it. And yeah. I completely lost his sound. I, and that podcast has never appeared. That's too, it's too bad. And, and honestly, that would have scared me probably too. You walk, you see all those, it's so intimidating, the knobs and the faders. And you're just like, where's the magic button that makes it all go? And you're just, is there, is there like some people ask me like, how do I make my voice sound good? And I'm like, oh, you just need the sound good button. That's the button you're looking for. <laughs> so. <laughs> Well, you know what? I, I, I got to say, you got me very, I'm looking forward to the day where I can go into one of those studios that look like a NASA when they're <laughs> a rocket up to the moon and say, oh, I can handle this. Yeah, I got it. I, even the way I'm looking at you with the microphone, you know exactly where to put your mouth. Mm. Yeah, it's you know that's that's a that's a big thing with mics. People don't realize one inch to the right or one inch to the left or or a different angle completely changes the tone of a of professional mics of 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 real mics. Yeah, yeah. But you can use that, like I was saying before, if you get the hang of it, then you can actually leverage the technology 
and I can I can decide if there's a moment that I want to make what I'm saying sound a little bit more intimate versus I want to have it a little bit more conversational. I can manipulate my access to the or microphone to me for for the audience for the audience's that, point of view. That that sounds great. It really cool. teaches me here. <laughs> I, right. you know, I gotta I gotta bring up something that I had no real intention of talking about. But what you just said is you're you're really teaching me something here, and I. I wrote an article about your podcast on my blog about a year ago, and it was an article uh, called Secrets of a Master Conversationalist, Five Tricks I Learned from Cal Fussman's Podcast. And in this article, I brought up five different things that I bet you don't even realize that you do because it's become so natural to you over the years. And one of the things I brought up was what you just did, which is why I have to mention it, which is you have a habit of actually saying some version of the phrase, you just taught me something, or I just learned something from you. And I don't know if you realize how special that is, what you do, because I can't think of any other person I've ever met, no matter how well I know them or how good my relationship is with them, that explicitly says to me, hey, you just taught me something, or I just learned something from you right now. And what that does as the listener or, or you know, in, in someone in my shoes, when you say that, it's just it. I mean, it strokes your ego, but like not like in a good way. It, it says like I'm I'm here and you're helping me and I appreciate that. Is is that something you developed on purpose uh, or just came naturally over years of interviewing? It's just authentic. You you taught me something. It's but amazing. I think, I think what it really if you look layers deeper what it really says is that I am really listening to you. Yeah. And that is something that is very powerful mm -hmm. because most people do not feel listened to. Yeah. And, and when you listen to somebody and they see that you're looking straight into their eyes, it gives them a feeling that they don't ordinarily get. And so a lot of people think, wow, like what's the question mm -hmm. that you ask these people to get these amazing responses? But they don't realize that a great deal of it happens because they're seeing how much I'm listening. Also, my tone of voice and also my body language, because communication is basically 10% the words, 30% tone of voice, 60% the body language. So when people ask, like, what's the magic question that will get somebody to open up? It's sort of like asking you, where's the make it sound good button? <laughs> it don't exist. <laughs> Yeah, just ask this question to every person you meet, and uh, and somehow every conversation will go great, right? Yeah. Now, look, that said, you can pretty much go up to anybody you meet on the street, and you're waiting at a red light, and ask, you know, I'm from out of town. Where's the best place to get ice cream around here? And it's liable to start a conversation. And if you want to take that conversation levels deeper, you can, because people will like to talk about ice cream. 
It makes them happy to talk about ice cream. And as they're talking about ice cream, it may make them bring up their kids going to that ice cream place and the favorite flavors their kids like. And it can lead to all kinds of very deep stories that tell you about the community. And so there are good questions that, which some people call icebreakers. Yeah. I call them ice cream makers. <laughs> <laughs> and you can use a question like that. It's non-threatening. Yeah. And start a, start a conversation. But I'm not telling you when you ask, where do you get the best ice cream around here that you're immediately going to get a great response. Right. It's just opening the door for the possibility of the conversation going deeper so that you'll get something that you had no idea existed. See, that the possibility of being able to go deeper than I think that that's really the key, right? Because I, one of the things I find myself saying, in fact, I did a program this morning, you know, virtual workshop, you know, running a virtual workshop, just like you and I are spending our whole time doing these days. Um, and I was doing that just this morning and I, I find myself repeating all the time, you can't connect at anybody. You can only connect with them, right? But you have to ask questions that actually give them the opportunity to reach, to reach back out to to connect. And I love, I love that ice cream question. And, and something I had wanted to ask you about is where do you fall on small talk? Because I feel like there's a lot of communication specialists and coaches that are really down on small talk. And I, I'm not so sure. I think there's a great value in small talk as long as it's intentional, like that ice cream question. Well, that is my definition of small talk. Yeah. The ice cream question. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not going, I don't, ask anybody about the weather unless a hurricane's coming. Or maybe I really am curious about the weather. Mm. But asking about the weather just because you don't know what to say and you feel awkward in the silence mm. is not something that I would recommend much better to talk about ice cream. <laughs> just get anybody talking about ice cream and you'll be in, even if they don't like it, because then I say, well, I don't like ice cream. And then you can say, oh, why? What about ice cream? Or what's something else that you, oh, what dessert do you prefer, right? There's all, all these interesting ways to go from there. Yeah, and, and it actually, like I could see a love story starting that way. <laughs> Somebody asking that question and the other say, no, I, I don't like ice cream. And the other passionate about ice cream. Yeah. And like, what? You don't like ice cream? <laughs> like, you don't like Haagen-Dazs, Swiss almond? <laughs> Are you nuts? And then a back and forth is going to get going. They may start laughing. They may be, it's sort of chemical at that yeah. point. There may become an attraction just because opposites attract. Yeah. Uh, so it really is a matter of just asking a non-threatening question and a, also a non-boring question. Mm. So what would you say to someone then that, because you and I, folks like us can wax poetic about this, right? The social engagement, the daily interactions, meeting strangers, all these beautiful connections. But sometimes you'll get someone that just goes, 
man, when someone does that to me, when I'm just standing in line and they try to strike up a conversation, right? They just want to retreat into themselves. Like, no, I just want to get my coffee and get out of here. Why do people have to talk to me all the time? What, what do you, what do you say to people like that? Well, those are the people that oftentimes are hearing, oh, weather's really been lousy lately. <laughs> there, there, are, there are people who, and I'm one of them, I might be on that line, I might be thinking, I write when I'm online somewhere. I'm writing in my head when I walk down the street. I write when I'm in the shower. I don't want to be disturbed by somebody who just wants to talk because they're uncomfortable with silence. Mm. But if that person says something that's interesting to me or fascinating to me, yeah, I'll go there. Mm. So it really is a matter of what the person is saying. And I, we'll get to this a little later because I know in the middle of the podcast, you're going to ask your version of the big question. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I have an answer to it that really applies to asking a unexpected question at a unexpected moment that completely changed my life. In fact, I why wouldn't be. Why don't you? Right why don't you tell us? Why don't? Why you tell us? We don't need to wait for formalities. We're. Ha I usually put it later because I like people to warm up uh, before they're gonna tell their big story or whatever. But you're so you've been, you've told three stories already. I haven't even asked. So please. Okay. So understand the timing of this. Is I guess around 2012, 2013 was sort of pushing through the Great Recession, which was really difficult for me. Mm -hmm. And it was difficult for me because, going back to the beginning of the conversation and Maria Sharapova, uh, I was kind of at the very top level of where I thought I was going. Mm -hmm. uh, I was working as the Esquire columnist, uh, what I've learned, uh, the wisdom in the words of icons have shaped the last 70 years of world history. So every month I'm going off to meet Mikhail Gorbachev or Muhammad Ali or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson or George Clooney, uh, Serena Williams. That was, that was my life. And at the same time, one of those interviews with Larry King had forged a friendship that came to fruition when Larry decided to write a soup to nuts autobiography. It happened that he had the same literary agent that I did. I had already written the column, we had gotten along, and the agent put us together. And Larry remembered the column, and it was very, very fluid. We got a great book contract, and so I actually fly out to Los Angeles with my family from across the country to spend the summer, like great summer vacation in LA, we're going to be on the beach and I'm going to download Larry's book and everything's great. Every, I couldn't have imagined my life being every, any better because either I'm with Larry every day going to the CNN show or going off to be with Leonardo DiCaprio in the <laughs> afternoon. Uh, and, and so 
right at that point, I'm thinking this, yeah, this, this is what I'm living a dream. This is what I all is what I set out to do. Mm. So this is the summer of 2008. Now what happens is it took a while for the publisher to get the contracts ready. And Larry said, look, let's start once the contracts are all signed, we cross all the T's, we dot the I's, and we're getting to know each other during this time, but I haven't really started the research. And they, the contracts don't come till like September. Now it's time to get my kids back to school on the East Coast, and I got to stay in LA. And my wife and my kids said, no, nah, like, we don't want you away from the family because I, I did a lot of traveling going off to interview everybody. And they said, if you're going to be here, we want to be here. So we all moved out to LA. Now I got like houses on both coasts. Think of the timing. Oh, wait. <laughs> all right. Oh, boy. September, oh, wait. All right. <laughs> Boom, Lehman Brothers, down goes Lehman Brothers. The whole system, like dominoes, starts to go down. And basically, and look, I had a very good book contract. And my contract with Esquire continued, although uh, I actually said it got to a point where it looked like they were going to have to lay people off. And I said, look, just cut my contract to save somebody's job. Wow. So I'm basically like giving them money because I'm thinking, look, I'm at the top of the world here. This will be over soon. Uh, but it, it wasn't. Yeah. And everything basically just closed out. And so it was a, an experience that I was not prepared for because back to Maria, I was not thinking of going back, taking a trip the way she traveled from Russia, United States, and then having a thousand balls hit at me every day. I was used to being like the champ. <laughs> I don't need to go back to thousand balls. Yeah. I know I know where the ball's gonna land. And it it caused a tremendous amount of anxiety. And and then this is what happened. Mm -hmm. I'm interviewing a surfer named Laird Hamilton. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Mm -mm. Okay, so Laird is one of the world's great surfers. And he goes out into the ocean where there are like 50 foot waves. Like the boats take him out there. These waves are this, <laughs> it's like, you know, surfing the Empire State Building. It's I'm something like yeah. I'm not even good in a kiddie pool. No, thank you. There you go. There you go. And I may have exaggerated, but 50 feet waves, not an exaggeration. All right. And I say to him, Laird, what happens when you go down in a wave like that under all that energy? And he said, I'll tell you, the first thing that I do is I close my eyes. I don't even want to waste any energy seeing. I just know that for the moment, I have to conserve my energy and I gotta relax. 
So I let my arms go out like a leaf and I let the water just swirl me around whichever way it wants because basically he's like a piece of clothing in a washing machine. Mm-hmm. He's, there's no way the clothing is gonna say, no, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> and he said, but, and, and he gave an analogy, not in these words, but the way I took it was like the same way I need to breathe, the ocean needs to breathe. It comes out into the shore, it exhales, and then it inhales back in. That's the cycle. And he said, there's going to be a moment where the wave's going to take a breath. He actually put it as if like you're on a wrestling mat and you've been pinned, but there's going to be a moment where there's a let up. And the moment you feel that that let up is coming, that's the moment when you open your eyes and you get to the surface. Mm -hmm. And it was really a perfect analogy for anybody who's in business and going through difficulties during the time of the coronavirus. Mm -hmm. Because if you're out there fighting and anxious and upset, you're just wasting your energy. There's nothing you can do right now, except pause and think about where you're going and waiting for the instant. That ocean's gonna take a breath and then go to the surface. Mm. And that, when I heard that, I knew, ah, that's that's the way I should have behaved. I shouldn't have been up at three in the morning uh, fighting and grinding my teeth. Like, what, what's going on here? I, like, it was basically, you'd walk into a, a publisher's office and just see row after row of empty desks because of all the people who just gotten laid off. But if I had gone in knowing, okay, the wave is just swirling everybody around, black, because there were people who saw that moment, who were creating things. Uh, All of the people who were thinking about YouTube and thinking about Lyft and Uber, they were in that pause or getting started state and they were ready to go up. Yeah. And they all became very successful. So many of these companies really got booted up during during that time, at the time where I was just furious and angry and wondering how, like, how could this be? I'm at the top of the world. How can I be at the bottom of the ocean and the top of the world at the same time? Man, I... That's like right in the feels for the last few months because uh, I know I've heard you talk about watching your speaking engagements just disappear, and um, I make my living as a as a live event speaker. I was booked internationally into 2021, and in the span of 36 hours, my entire life's work just collapsed right back in March. I mean, you saw it happen to you, and it was 
it was wild to watch the live event industry collapse. And there's still, three months later, no end in sight. We have no idea when that's coming back. So my question is then, what have you been doing differently this time that you weren't able to do back then since you know the surfing story and you know the analogy and you know the pause? What's your pause look like this time? Yeah, and, and look, when you think about it, uh, as I'm listening to what happened to you, I mean, same thing. I mean, this was like my going to be my biggest year ever. Yeah. And, and you know what? I, what I got to do, though, I got to take you back to just follow how we got to the to this point. Sure. Uh, because that will explain the original answer to the question. Great. Uh, about using a sentence to go in a completely new way. And then after that, we'll push it forward. Yes, great. It'll work in chronological order. Good storytelling here. (laughs) So so what happens is I hear Laird say this, and now like I know, okay, I have to be attuned to what's coming. I have to be attuned to the ocean taking a breath. The problem was, as you know from the beginning of this conversation, I'm a technophobe. I couldn't get an email without messing it up. So I wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to the YouTubes of the world, the Ubers of the world, which would have been the natural place for somebody who was a writer that where the print industry just dried up, it would have been natural to maybe transition to helping a company tell its story. But I wasn't even thinking that way because I'm still going off and going to see Leonardo DiCaprio (laughs) or Robert Downey Jr. So I'm not thinking about businesses. I think about like iconic people because one of the things that happens when you get very successful and it really can harm you is you start thinking you are your job title. Mm-hmm. Somebody say, oh, be introduced. Oh, this is Cal. He is the columnist for Esquire magazine. So when you think you're your job description, if your job starts to be in a position where it's shuddering, then you're in a position that's shuddering. But it really should not be that way because you are who you are and what you're a master at. I didn't understand that, okay, I can use my mastery at asking questions in another venue or I could use my ability to tell a story in another outlet. And on top of that, I had been taught when I went to journalism school that if you want to do, if this is what you love, you want to do what you love, then you can never go over to the business side. Hmm. You're a sellout if you do that, and you'll never be accepted back. What do you What do you mean? Go over to the business. I've heard you say this a few times. What What does that mean in that world? Yeah, it, it, there's a wall between the 
the publishing side of a magazine and the editorial side. Mm. And if you're on the editorial side, you cannot be seen as trying to like bring in money for the magazine. Uh, Your job as a journalist, if you're a reporter, is to go out and find the news not to look for a way to help one of your advertisers mm. look good. Got it. Got it. Now this it. whole wall broke down right around this time. Advertorials started because the print industry was suffering and they needed to figure out ways to compensate. During the same years, like 09, 10, New York Times had a lot of problems. They went to Carlos Slim to get a loan. And you started to see advertisements on the very bottom of the front page of the New York Times. Never would you have seen that ever before because they needed the money. And that's the industry that I was working in at the time. Everything seemed to be falling through quicksand. If you wrote books, you were watching Borders books just disappear. Oh, I miss Borders. I miss borders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're, you're seeing, here I am, I'm watching all the things that I loved and mastered and I'm at the top of, kind of swirling like quicksand. Yeah. But I've got this story from Laird Hamilton in my head <laughs> that, because I'm feeling like I'm in the quicksand too, although, the crazy thing is, at the same time, I'm still hanging out with Larry King and flying around on his pl private plane. <laughs> and I'm still going off to interview Dr. Dre. Okay? So you, you can imagine how confusing that would make you feel, where you're at the top of the world, but you're seeing that everything that has supported you along the way is just evaporating at your feet. So then one day at breakfast, because I would have breakfast with Larry King every morning until the pandemic for 10 years. And lots of people would come over to Larry and say hello, they'd want autographs, they'd want pictures. And you kind of, you get a little used to it, but still there was about, six, seven, eight people at the breakfast table. It's really a very communal setting. And you don't want it to be interrupted too much. It's like a great hour in the day. It's a time for banter and jokes and to talk politics. And you just want it to be community. And so a kid comes over to the table one morning. I say a kid, he had just dropped out of USC. And he wanted to ask Larry a question about interviewing. And so Larry looked over at me and then looked back to the kid and said, you know, why do you need to know this about interviewing? And the kid said, because I'm writing a book. And he said, oh, if you're writing a book, you really should talk to Cal. <laughs> and Cal, can, I, can you give him five minutes? And, you know, that he just kind of nodded, just like, be, be nice to the kid mm -hmm. and come back in five. Mm -hmm. 
hey, be my wingman here. Give me a break. So I, I go off with the kid. And the kid had, uh, well, at that point, I didn't know anything about the kid other than he was writing his book and he wanted to know how to interview people. Mm. And so we sat down and I didn't ask him the ice cream question. Mm. I just knew that he was about 20 years old. And I said to him, are heroes dead? And he said, no. And I said, well, that's interesting because like, I'm looking at Nelson Mandela, Muhammad Ali, people who the world views as heroes and they're either passing away or getting to the point where they're going to pass away. And I just wonder who are the heroes for your generation? Because I, I, I don't see who they are. I have no idea. And he said, uh, oh, I have a lot of heroes. I said, well, who? He said, Tim Ferriss. <laughs> and I said, Tim who? <laughs> Tim Ferriss? I said, I never heard of this guy. Who's Tim Ferriss? He said, oh, Tim Ferriss, he has a podcast. I said, what's a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> And he's saying, like, Tim Ferriss has this podcast that goes out every week or so. And he's got millions of listeners. And he talks to people who have mastered their fields and uh, are trying to achieve great things. And I said, well, here's the thing. Like, you say he's a hero, but... Like, I don't know about him. Nobody at Larry's table knows about him. I bet you if you went around this restaurant, you are the only person who knows who Tim Ferriss is. So how can you call him a hero? Because if nobody knows who the hero is, how can they be a hero? And he said, oh, no, like, you, you got to understand how important Tim Ferriss is. So that was the moment that... Laird had set me up for. <laughs> it was this feeling that, okay, you're not pinned anymore. It's time to go shoot to the surface. And it was actually Tim Ferriss who would <laughs> shoot me to the surface. <laughs> because what happened is, this one question led to a two-hour conversation. And I found out that this kid, his name was Alex Benayan. His name is Alex Benayan. Mm -hmm. was, was writing a book uh, about the meaning of success. Mm. And he was trying to interview Bill Gates and Lady Gaga and Oprah Winfrey and Maya Angelou and just find out what they were doing when they were 19, when they were 20, when they were 20, so that he could bring that formula to his generation. And I looked at the roster of people that he was hoping to interview. And I like, I knew there was no way <laughs> like, he, he was going to be able to get these people to sit and spend an hour with him. Mm. And I asked him, well, like, when is the book due? 
And he said, uh, oh, like in, a, in about a year from now. So I'm figuring in six months, all my interviews will be done. And another six months, the book will be knocked off and I'll be ready to go. <laughs> and I'm looking at this guy and I'm saying, man, this, this guy is in big trouble. Mm. Like he doesn't even, he doesn't even know that he's surfing on a 50 foot wave. In <laughs> fact, he doesn't know how to surf a five foot wave but he managed to get himself on a 50 foot wave. And he managed to do it because he was a great speaker. He's a natural born speaker. Mm. And he was able to sell this concept to a major publisher where they bought it. Uh, but it was his conversations with people and the yearning that he had that made, in my estimation, because I never met the editor who bought the book, mm -hmm. feel, oh, you know what? This kid has no idea where he's going mm -hmm. or what he's doing. And I can see that he really doesn't know how to write. But if he goes out on this adventure, I can, I can show him how to put this down mm -hmm. and craft a story. And maybe this can be a, a real big book. So he's got this deadline. And I immediately said to him, you know what? Why don't you do this? Call up your publisher and ask for an additional 18 months. Mm. And he started laughing at me. <laughs> what? what? <laughs> Why are you telling me 18 months? I'm going to be done in a year. And I said, because you're not even going to be done in an additional. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? It took him seven years. Oof. Uh, and I went on the journey with him. I basically mentored him through this book. Wow. Uh, three nights a week, hours at a time. Uh, the book is called The Third Door. Uh -huh. uh, it became not only a bestseller here, but uh, in countries across the world. And during my mentorship, he began to mentor me. Mm -hmm. He started to say, like, I don't understand this. Like, you know all this stuff. You're hanging out with Mikhail Gorbachev and Dr. Dre, but I go to look for you on the internet and like, you're not there. You have no Facebook page. You have no Twitter page. You have no Instagram page. There's no mention of you on Wikipedia. Like to my generation, you don't even exist. And like you can try and fight that immediately. Mm -hmm. But if when you do, you know, you're basically the kid saying, oh, I'll finish this book in 12 months. Yeah. I'll have all those interviews done and say, I, I was speaking like just as foolishly yeah. because I knew as little about his world as he knew about mine. <laughs> and so again, going back to that Laird Hamilton and going back to what Maria Sharapova said, I understood, okay, I didn't know then that I needed to take a thousand balls, 
but I knew that I had to go out and start practicing mm. things in different areas that I had some mastership over. And so what happened is Alex did introduce me to Tim Ferriss because Tim Ferriss was one of the people that he met on the journey of his book. And Tim asked me to come on his podcast. And I went on the podcast and we just started talking. And it was like three hours of me telling stories that like, I would tell on a Saturday night at the party. <laughs> and like a million people hear it. And Tim says, whoa, 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 whoa. There's so much feedback we're getting. You got to start the podcast. And one of the things that happened is I'm initially pushing off this podcast, but now people are starting to ask me to speak on stage because they've heard me on Tim's podcast. And because another mentor of Alex's asked me to come speak in an event called Summit at Sea. I don't know if you've ever heard of Summit. It's conference for entrepreneurs. So there are like 4,000 people on this ship and I get asked to go and give a talk about decoding the art of the interview. I'm thinking, well, this is a great couple of days in the Bahamas. Uh, I don't realize when I get up to speak that the room is going to be packed with people. And when I get done, there would be a standing ovation and there'd be a long line of people to meet me, including one guy who said, how long have you been speaking? And I said, about an hour. <laughs> and he said, let me tell you something. I am a public speaker. This is what I do for a living. That's what you gotta be doing. Yeah. Like I, I've never read anything you've written, but it's unmistakable to me. You've gotta be out speaking at corporate events, companies, conferences, this is a whole new world to me. Yeah, and the, and so between the podcast that I was on, that Tim hosted, and the connections I made at this one event, I started to speak, and it just kept getting better mm. and better and better as I'm watching the magazine industry shrivel up. Yeah. So basically, I had gotten up. I had gotten to the surface, and not only that, now I'm on another 50-foot wave, <laughs> and I'm doing pretty good. And after second year, third, you start to, it's the thousand balls coming at you. You know, the first time you go to speak, uh, every time there's, it's something new. Oh, yeah. And you, it may be, uh, you need to speak like a hundred times before something new doesn't come up. Yeah. And it could be just a light in a different place. Mm -hmm. It could be the way the audience of geeks comes into the room, sitting down, last row first, second to last row, third row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everything in the first like three rows open. Yeah. And there's always a, a little something to kind of throw you off. But, you know, after you do it a hundred times, which is one reason this is great advice from Tony Robbins, which I should have followed. I actually did follow it, but I didn't hear it mm. for a while. If I would have heard it at the very beginning, 
really would have advanced me. And it, I don't know that anybody could use it now because you can't really go out and public speak. But his point was, if you're speaking three times a month and you got good, decent paid gigs, it's going to take you a lot longer to master the craft than it would if you're speaking three times a day, even if a lot of those were you're doing for free. Because by the end of that month, you're going to have 90 of these under your belt. Uh, you can still do that because all the local uh, networking groups that meet up in local communities, they're all doing their weekly meetings virtually now, and they're still bringing in guest speakers. You can just, you can sit at your desk now and do, you know, uh, if if you're a young speaker who just started their career a year ago and now just got slammed and like, what do I do now? I don't have a, I don't have a reputation to build on. I don't have a foothold in the industry. You can be doing those. That, that reminds me of the beginning of my career as a magician because that's where I spent 10 years was a full-time magician to build at the beginning of my career. We used to do restaurant magic. Two, three times a week, I'd go into a local restaurant. They'd pay me some nominal amount, but for two hours, I'd go to every table and do a couple minutes of tricks. And so as a magician, if you're only doing stage shows and you're doing one or two a month, you only get to do each trick once or twice a month. But at a restaurant, I could do the same trick at every table for two hours. Oh man, you, you get so good so fast. <laughs> a thousand balls. Yeah, in in a couple of weeks as a magician, you could do that. Yeah, there, there you go. That's the Mar the Maria Sharapova strategy. And and the thing about it is, is that every time you come up with a new trick, you can apply that same principle yeah. and have. A thousand balls come at you or a thousand tables come at you. And it's a great, great recipe for mastering something. That's awesome. And it took me a, a little while to understand. Well, it took me, a, a, as soon as I heard it, I understood it. But I had gone maybe a year or a year and a half before I heard Tony Robbins say those words. But Soon after he did, I started applying that. And just last year, which is about the third year, I, I really started to go great because mm -hmm. you get a reputation, yeah. people see you, and you, you get gigs by doing gigs. Yep, yep. People see you and they say, oh, you got to come to my event. Which That's, is 10 months from now. That, a year and a half right. from now. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And and it the calendar starts to fill up that way. Yeah. And pretty soon somebody calls and you say, Oh, you know what? Uh August. August of next year, that's uh that's gonna be tough because I gotta be in Belgium in early September. Yeah. And that's how you build it. And so I was just at that point where just really starting to crush it when the virus appears and basically everything it, as far as i can see is like wiped out yeah same same thing and i don't know how you felt and i'll ask you about it because it sounds like you're in the same situation 
but you hadn't heard the Laird Hamilton story. <laughs> so I don't know how you reacted to it. What was your reaction? Uh, I'll never forget March 12th to March 14th of 2020 for the rest of my life. Uh, in the span of 36 hours. Uh, so I'm, um, my wife is pregnant with our first, which was pre coronavirus. So she's, so she's six months pregnant. So, but because of the timing, we knew in January, we were waiting until the 12 week ultrasound. So we hadn't even told anybody yet. So we hadn't even told anybody she was pregnant when the virus hit. So she, she works, she's a therapist. She does amazing work, but she's in nonprofit. So not a lot of pay there. I'm the primary breadwinner, right? And I, I tour the world and I, I support the household by and large. Thank God for her health insurance, right? But other than that, support the household, first child on the way. And I had packed out my year so that I could take a, first, a few months off for the first time in 15 years after the child was born. Oh, man. So I, oh, man. So I lost somewhere in the range of six figures worth of work in the span of 36 hours. And the industry got wiped out. It wasn't just like I'm losing the work. It was, and it's not coming back for That's who knows how long. Thing. Right. That's right. Fall of 2021, maybe 2022. Hard to say right now. So That's for right. about two days, I stared at the wall in just kind of sheer panic, especially because I had built my career around diversifying, you know, no eggs, not all my eggs in one basket. I, I do workshops. I do keynoting. I do coaching and consulting. I have YouTube channels. I have a podcast. I have a book. I have, I have a lot of different things. What I didn't anticipate was the vast majority of my income, even though it was diversified, was all in the live event industry. And that's the industry that went down. So I thought I was diversified. Who imagined the entire live event industry worldwide would collapse overnight? So I did have a panic moment, but out of necessity, after about two days, I called my manager and I said, listen, I think this isn't just going to be a few weeks. I'm worried and expecting this to be a lot longer. People were still saying oh, a couple of weeks, maybe six weeks. I said, I don't think so. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But I want to start planning virtual now. And we were the first to market, essentially, with the shift of all my colleagues in the speaking industry in my realm. I was one of the, one of the first to see it. And instantly, I got on the phone with a couple of my VIP clients who've, who've booked me 10 times before. And I called one of them right away. I said, Steve, in two weeks, your staff is going to start working from home for the first time ever. In two weeks when that happens, they're going to panic because you have no idea how to manage a remote team. When that happens, I want you to call me. I've got something for you. I can help. I said, you don't even have to respond to this. And he didn't. I didn't even get an email back. Two weeks later, I got a phone call. I said, Brian, it happened. What can you do for us? And I did the first version of what is now my new career, which is instead of being a keynoter in the real world, I run these virtual workshops on taking human connection and translating it into the virtual world for team building and effective communication and all that stuff. And I just built a whole new career out of virtual virtual work. But, um, you know, but like you said, though, this is brand new. This has never happened before. So I knew how to be a speaker and an entertainer and be in a live room for 15 years. It's all I've ever done. I've never had a job. I've worked for myself since I was 16 years old. and. Three months ago, I started building a new business from scratch. So for the last couple of months, it's been a daily battle of ups and downs and all the emotional swings that come with it and things that work and things that don't. I don't know what I'm doing again, but I had no choice. Got a, got a baby on the way, so I'm figuring it out. 
I cannot tell you how proud I am of you is hearing that uh, because, you know, thinking about what it might be like to have a baby coming and have your, not only your income ripped away, but like I was saying before, your job description was ripped away. You're a public speaker. Well, there's no more public speaking. <laughs> like you don't exist anymore. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ident and, real identity crisis. Yeah. Yeah. And yet you're in the best possible place because think about it. It's simply now a matter of marketing and getting out your message to as many people as possible. And because of the internet, mm -hmm. basically the whole world is your audience. Right. Yeah, this if this had happened 10 years ago, even five years ago, very different situation technologically. There, there you go. So it, it came at just the right time for you. Yeah. It may be far more lucrative for you in the end. Yeah. And it will keep you at home Bingo. so you can be with your child. That has been the silver lining I've been clinging to since the beginning. The first few months of this year before the pandemic, the one biggest anxiety that my wife and I had been talking about over and over is I kept saying to her, how am I going to be a good father and be on the road as often as I am? And I, and I was worried I was going to miss the birth because the due date was the same week as two international keynotes I had booked ages before she got oh, pregnant. No. I, was I was like, there's no way out of these. You know those speaking contracts. When they book you because of who you are, there's no way out of these contracts. You'd kill your reputation in the industry. And so I was like, I can't get out of this. So I was so anxious about that. Well, the world answered uh, and said, oh, you'd like to be home more, would you? <laughs> I said, you will now be home forever. Um, so the, the great silver lining has been, I've been with Lindsay, my wife, every day through the whole pregnancy, the ups and downs, I've been by her side for all of it. I'm going to wow. see the birth of the kid. I'm not going to miss anything. And I'm building a business out of necessity. I probably never would have built because I wouldn't have had the time to build a new business that would allow me to be home. And now, now I am. So it's, there's a lot of two sides to every story. Well, I think it's a beautiful story. And it, it really like moves into... Uh, what we were talking about before, uh, because when those days hit me, I I didn't react the way you reacted because, well, number one, I don't have like a baby on the way. Mm -hmm. In fact, my last uh, the baby of the group is about to get ready to go off to college. Wow! So very different time zone yeah uh, but i recalled what laird said and two things happened one really this goes to everything we've been talking about one i just said all right i'm going to relax i'm just going to let my arms go out and i'm not going to fight against this i wasn't a born entrepreneur like you are mm -hmm. to, and I didn't have that uh, immediate need to say, I've got to recreate my business. My feeling was the same way it took me a while to meet Alex. Mm -hmm. I was thinking more about, all right, 
stay open because whatever's coming is going to be revealed to you. You just have to be very aware. And very fortunately, at the same time, some the same guys, same group of people who I told you uh, created that group summit I told you about mm. with, it's for entrepreneurs. They have that cruise ship there and they had a summit at sea this year. It got canceled. Mm. Uh, but they were in the process of writing a book uh, with another author. It didn't really go well and they needed some help. And so they asked uh, if I would jump in and help them out. And so that basically put me in a bunker with work that needed to be done on deadline. And it actually enabled me to just focus on that and just tell myself, while you're doing that, as, as soon as you're done, when you come up, be prepared for what's going to happen. And so now I, I came up and I'm seeing, I'm hearing about what you're doing. And I know that is the solution. So I, I just, the same way you're developing it into a business, Yeah, uh, that's what I'm gonna do. Uh, and very much the same way you're gonna have time with your growing family. Uh, my dad is uh, gonna be 90 soon. Wow. And I'm gonna uh, move back to be very close to him uh, because, now I I can be anywhere yeah. and talking to somebody just the same way I'm talking to you. So I can be with him at this time, which is a very cool thing. That's what a what a blessing, right? Yeah. So that's that's the way it's it, it's all about surfing. It's all about I mean, surfing. I had no idea we were gonna talk about surfing. <laughs> I uh, I would have brushed up on some lingo so I could have inserted. I can't even think of a goofy example to insert. I know so little about surfing right now. Me, me too. I don't <laughs> really know. I, I just know that these, what happened in 08, uh, probably for a lot of people, this was worse. Yeah. Because it basically kind of took down the world. Yeah. yeah. There was just nowhere to go. Yeah. Even even back in 08, 9, 10, if I had been thinking that way, if I had been thinking of, okay, everything is, is, is very difficult to sell books now, it's, there's no money in the, in the magazine world, but there are these companies that are starting mm -hmm. that could use help with their storytelling. I, I would have been able to make that pivot pretty easily if yeah. I had connections. Or if I even was thinking that way, yeah, I didn't know to think that way, but now I do, and so I see a whole world out there that needs help, yeah. needs help with their pivot, needs help with connection, needs help with asking questions, needs help with having their story told. It's the market is huge. It's yeah, it's it's kind of boundless. Um, so I I know that we are over time. You've given me so much of your time already, and I want to be very respectful of that. I would it be massively inconvenient for five more minutes if I can wrap this up with you? 
Sure, go ahead. Thank you Have so 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 much. I could because I could talk to you for forever. This has been a real a real honor. Um, I first, I, where where should people go look you up? Find you folks who want help with their storytelling, small large businesses. Where should they find you? Uh, they can go to calfussman.com and just send me an email. Great, and uh, I'll get back to them. Uh, that's pretty simple. Uh, also, they can go uh, to Big Questions Podcast and listen to me there. Uh, but yeah, if they want to reach out to me personally, just go to calfussman.com and there's a place to contact Cal. Great. And I, I, I record my intros and outros afterwards so that they line up with the conversation. We'll plug it everywhere. It'll all be in the show notes, everything. And I talk about big questions frequently when I mention other podcasts worth listening to. It's just one of my uh, most really? recommended. Yeah. It's it, so I, I'd like to tell you, uh, I'm going to make it as about a two minute story. I'm going to try to condense it. I'd like to tell you a quick story because on the topic of chance encounters and how one relationship leads to another and being open to opportunities, I think you're going to enjoy this. So I, my hero, you talk about heroes, Tim Ferriss, right? And you said, nobody knows who he is, except for, of course, the millions who do, right? Okay. And one of my heroes ever since probably college, when I first encountered his work was, is Seth Godin. So Seth Godin was just, I was, a, I was, am a Seth junkie. One of those guys, right? You know them, you know, those guys, there's a lot of us. Um, and I had wanted to reach out to him for ages. I'd heard he was sort of accessible for someone who's pretty famous. I'd always wanted to reach out to him, never knew what to say. I just obsessed over his work. And finally, I was listening to him give an interview once. And he mentioned something about, he was talking about education on one of his rants about high school. And he mentioned Williamsville East High School. And I, I went, God, that's so weird. That, what a coincidence. That was the name of the high school I went to. I thought, but there's no way, right? So I Google it. Sure enough, I'm from Buffalo. He's from Buffalo. We went to the same high school. In fact, when I was visiting some buddies a couple weeks later, I snuck into the school during the summer break, the high school, and I saw right there on our wall of fame was him with some giant hair. Right there on our wall of fame, he was, uh, I walked past his face in high school for four years, not having any idea at that time who he was, right? That this guy would later, you know, change my life essentially. So I reached out to him with that. That was the first time I ever emailed. I said, we both, I just discovered we both, blah, blah, blah. Thank you for all your work. He wrote back within five minutes. I couldn't, I freaked out. Couldn't believe it. You know, Seth. So um, once every few months, I'd shoot him one quick email, something I thought he'd enjoy. He'd always get back, maintain a relationship. Then one morning at about, I, I had a four, 5 a.m. flight I was going, and then uh, that flight had a layover and then to another place. I'm going to speak somewhere. And at my layover, I bumped into Seth Godin. At a layover, we're crossing pads, and I just went, Seth! I just like, I, like he knows me, right? Of course, on site has no idea who I am, but it didn't matter. He saw where the voice came from, put on a big smile, beeline towards me, put out his hand, what can I do for you, sir? Within seconds, it jogged his memory. He recognized, oh, Williamsville East, he recognized the conversations. That led to him eventually, in the greatest act of kindness, um, blurbing my first book, even mentioning it on his blog, which just skyrocketed my name, right? It put me on the map globally. So that having been said, 
I reached out to, um, oh, so I asked Seth to come on my podcast in the, in the second season of my podcast. Again, he said, yes, couldn't, I, I just, uh, what a guy, but I was freaking out. How do I interview Seth Godin? So I was looking up any recent interviews he had done to hear how he was talking lately. And one of them was this guy, Cal Fussman, who I had never heard of from a podcast, Big Questions, who I had never heard of. So I was just listening to Seth on your podcast to hear how he was doing interviews recently. And then it was like, came for Seth, stayed for Cal. So then I got obsessed with Big Questions and I went down the rabbit hole of your work. Before he came on the show, I tweeted at you that I was interviewing my hero, Seth Godin. Do you have any advice? And you tweeted back, which I'm sure you don't remember. You tweeted back and you said, just think about what would be the most valuable time or the most valuable time Seth could spend. Think about asking questions or conversing with him in a way that would be valuable to him. It was phenomenal advice. Had a great conversation with Seth. So all that being said, I ended up deciding to write this um, blog post about you and your work, which led me to Heather Monahan's episode on your podcast. So I listened to Heather. So now I've gone from Seth to Cal to Heather. So I look up Heather. I think she's awesome. Never heard of her. See oh, that yeah. she's trying to do her first TEDx talk. This was about a year and a half ago now. I reach out to her cold. Hey, I have, I said, Heather, you never heard of me, but I have one of the most popular TEDx talks ever given. I'm not selling anything, but if you ever want to talk about TEDx, just reach out. She called me. We talked. We started the conversation. Year later, I invite her on my podcast. She says, yes, she comes on. She's awesome. She is the one that connected me and you. And now you and I are having this conversation. That's the go. chain of events. And that's the chain of life. But you got to be open to it. Yeah. yeah. The whole thing is going back to Laird Hamilton, just having the intuition. And, and also it's, it's beyond that. It's like noticing, hold it. That can't be my high school. <laughs> and then checking. And then, you know what? It sounds like it is. And then going beyond to write the email. And so at every point you reached out. Yeah. And ultimately that's why things happen. If at any point in that whole chain, you would have withdrawn your hand, the whole chain would have broken. In the amazing full circle moment, I was so anxious, excited, nervous to chat with you because how do you interview a legendary interviewer, right? I was so worried about having this conversation go well that a couple of days ago, I reached out to Seth. And in the great circle where you gave me advice on interviewing him, I said, Seth, I'm interviewing Cal. It's my one moment. How do I interview Cal? And he said, just get him telling stories. He'll take it from there. <laughs> and here we are. So, uh, Cal, I just got to say, I mean, what truly this was, this was amazing. Thank you so much for spending the time. I know we went well over the time. I'm going to let you get on with your life and back to figuring out how to come up from this new, new wave that we're all on right now. Well, I hope the conversation continues. I hope you're going to teach me about the acoustics in your room. My pleasure. Other technological marvels, uh, because it's time for me to hit those technological ten tennis balls a thousand <laughs> a day, man. <laughs>
What a joy! Before you head off to consider your pause, here are a few takeaways from this episode. First, when it comes to emotional or artistic risks, things are never quite as scary as we imagine they will be. Cal wasted years he could have started the podcast that now brings him so much joy simply because he was afraid of the technology. And when he finally made the leap, he said, what was I waiting for? So that YouTube channel you've always wanted to build, that podcast you've always wanted to start, that blog you've always wanted to write, that hobby you've always wanted to learn, what are you waiting for? Second, most people do not feel listened to. So the best way to connect with someone, especially a stranger, is to simply listen. It's not difficult or complicated. It just requires care and attention. And finally, to echo a sentiment that has come up repeatedly on this show, you are not your job. Be really, really careful wrapping up your self-worth in what you do for a living. When that job disappears, like my ability to step on stages in front of live audiences, you need to fall back on inner worth. I've really struggled with that over the past few months, and Cal's urging here is a powerful reminder for me to keep creating a new sense of self-worth that has nothing to do with being an author, speaker, coach, or consultant. And I encourage you to take this time to do the same. For more information about Cal's work, how to connect with him on social media, and my favorite episodes of his podcast, Big Questions, head to the show notes on beyondnetworkingpodcast.com. While you're there, click Start Here in the menu at the top and enter your email to receive a brand new 16-page ebook and companion audio training entitled Connect With Anyone, Wisdom from Legends and Leaders. I compiled the very best advice from the incredible guests on this show across 50 plus episodes. Plus, you'll start getting notified by email every time a new episode drops so you don't have to keep checking your podcasting app. On a personal note, I'm going on a hiatus for the next few months as Lindsay and I welcome our firstborn into the world. I'll do my best to continue producing bi-weekly Thursday Thoughts episodes, and I do expect to continue being active on LinkedIn and Instagram at least as much as I can. And one more thing. Go on Twitter or Instagram and tag both me and Kale with your answer to this question. Where is the best ice cream in your local town or city? Anyway, thanks so much for sticking with me over this incredible third season. Remember, every interaction is meaningful and every person you meet even virtually, is important. With that said, my name is Brian Miller. This is Beyond Networking, and we'll see you next time. 